Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and the will, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A prophet is risen up among the people now. John the Baptist, they called him. And the Pharisees and the elders of the temple asked him if he was the Christ, if he was the Messiah, or if he was one of the prophets. And he answered them, No, I am the forerunner. I was sent to tell you that the Son of God is coming now. And this is the minute that John the Baptist was born for. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. We are glad that you're here today. If it's your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us. I want to start today just um, a little bit differently. Um, I've been fighting whatever's been going around this week, but I just have a heavy burden on my heart. There's a lot of sickness um, going on in our area. There's just the inconvenience of that, but also I think um, we're just reminded in those moments of how little we actually control and um, how weak we actually are. Um, a little virus that we can't even see with our eyes or some sort of bug gets us down. But this morning, I just want us to pray collectively for the sickness in our area. But I just have a burden and just feel a nudge from the Lord. I want to specifically pray for mothers who are caring for kids, who are working, who are doing that, school teachers, just people who are on the front lines um, when it comes to that. So would you just join me right now in a word of prayer as we pray for our area. Father God, we just come before you right now and just ask um, for your mercy and for your grace, God. In these moments, we are reminded of what it is to be a fallen human in this fallen body, God, and how weak we really are. And how little we are actually in control of. We make all of these plans and we have this mindset. And then something comes and lays us out for three or four days. But God, right now I really pray for um, moms who are taking care of those kids who are working 
who are doing all of these things. They just got the kids well. They just finished the round of antibiotics. And lo and behold, there it is again. And God, with the weather and the sickness and the combination, I just sense and feel a real heaviness and a real grind right now. And God, the the word that I believe that you have for us is, it doesn't depend on you. And it never did. And so God, I just pray that we would know that you are good, that you are in control. God, I pray for these school teachers who for 10 to 12 hours a day are with these kids and they're on the front lines and then there's inside because we can't go outside and there's just so much, God, right now. And so I just pray that we would release whatever control we're trying to control. We ask for your healing touch through the power of your spirit. And God, we ask that our minds would be transformed by your word. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for letting us do that. We are um, in the journey of Advent. And if you've never sort of gone through Advent, um, I'm just going to recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. The word Advent literally means um, the arrival of or, or the coming of. It's the translation of a Greek word that's used in the Bible of Jesus' second coming. And it's when he is coming again. And we said that Advent really serves three purposes. What we do is, number one, we look back to see all that God has done. We, we see these Old Testament prophecies and these predictions of God saying, I'm going to send a Savior, and, and these are the signs, and this is what it's going to look like. And so we look back to see what the people in the Old Testament waited and what they had to deal with. But we don't just look back, but Advent also reminds us to look around. You see, the Christian tradition this time of year, there's a reason why there's lights and there's evergreen. Don't let Hallmark fool you. They didn't come up with that, okay? Um, That's our tradition, and there's a reason why. Um, It's the darkest time of the year, but churches celebrate with putting up lights because a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming. There's a reason why we use evergreen. Because it's evergreen, just like the good news of the gospel, and it never dies. So this time of year reminds us to look around and to see what God is doing. And also, when we look around, being a Christian doesn't mean that we glaze over the bad and the darkness. Um, If anything, we learned last week when we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth who, who were barren, And they couldn't have a child. And they were praying and asking God. One of the things that the Bible is, is the Bible is brutally honest with the brokenness in the world. And so what we do this time of year is we don't glaze over the darkness. No, 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 no. We look at the darkness, but we say that the light shines the brightest when it's the darkest. And so we look around. But the third thing is, is we look ahead Because we know that Jesus Christ is coming again. 
And so, please, Advent isn't just when we look back and we celebrate Jesus' birth and we hear Charlie Brown quote it to us and, oh, that's so nice when that happened back then. What Advent does is it reminds us as Christians that just like the people of the Old Testament waited for the first arrival of Jesus, we too are now waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And last week, our big idea was very simply this, that we should never confuse, Advent reminds us, to never confuse God's silence for God's absence. That we learn that um, the break between the Old Testament and the New Testament is 400 years of silence. 400 years, there was no special prophecy. There was no, thus saith the Lord. Generation after generation of the people of Israel just did what God told them the last thing to do. And then the silence was broken with Gabriel coming to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so we said, just because you're in a season maybe where you feel like you've been praying about something, you've been seeking clarity about something, and, and you're just not hearing from God in the way in which your heart desires, don't confuse the fact that God is absent, for he is always present and at work. And, and this week, before we sort of get going, um, maybe this will help. Way, way back, um, well over a decade, close to 15 years ago, um, I had the privilege of working at J.C. Penney's, right? A um, little bit of trivia. Does anybody know what the J.C. stands for? James Cash Penny. He was the owner. And um, he was a devout Christian. And actually, long before Chick-fil-A did it, J.C. Penney was closed on Sundays, Right? So long before Chick-fil-A did that, J.C. Penney was, and then his kids inherited it, and they were like, what? We can make how much if we're open on Sunday? And so now they're open on Sunday again. But I worked there, and it was just going to be a part-time job. I actually started in maintenance. I was a janitor at J.C. Penney, and then sort of worked um, my way up, and then got into the men's department, and then a vacancy opened in the shoe department, Right? And so in college, I had worked at Champs and had got some training at Champs. And so put in my resume and um, just, just know your boy got the job and I was the youngest manager in a pennies in the state of Missouri, okay? So your boy's in the history books, all right? That's all I'm saying, okay? And I'm telling you, if you came in, we ran four on the floor. That means if you said, hey, I just want a pair of black dress shoes, we brought you out four more pairs of shoes, okay? You were not only going to buy one pair of shoes if I was hustling you, okay? We worked off commission on that thing. And um, I'll never forget learning whenever I was a manager that once a year, once a year, the executive director would come and visit your local store. Now, this was not 
your district manager, okay? The district manager would come by often. You had good communication with them. This was the guy that that guy reported to. Once a year, he would only come to the store. I had heard tons of stories about him. He was a well-dressed guy, wore a size 14 shoe, and really loved tennis shoes. So no pressure, okay? So they come down once a year, check the store, make sure everything is in order. But here's the thing. They only tell the store manager a two-week window. So they say between the dates of this and this, two weeks, your executive district manager will be coming and visiting the store. And so you don't know until the day of that when he would call the store manager and say, hey, I'm going to be coming to the store today. So for those two weeks and the month leading up to that, I mean, you're going around following customers, right? As soon as they would unfold a shirt, you're folding that shirt back, right? Because this guy could be coming at any moment. You're making sure the store is spotless and everything. And I'll never forget, we opened up the store that day. We know it's kind of getting a little bit later into the two weeks. So we're like, he's going to be coming. He's going to be coming. And I'll never forget, we had these walkie-talkies and earpieces. It was like we were in the Secret Service. Like it's JCPenney, okay? I can yell at you from the store, right? And I'll never forget our store manager getting on the little earpiece and she said, the eagle has landed. Right? We're like, oh no, the eagle's landed. And then she's running around the store. He's here, he's here. All you heard through the store, he's here, he's here, he's here. And so we saw him and what he does is he goes to each department. He meets with the store manager and then goes to sort of each department and he wants to speak to that department's manager, ask what's going on, what improvements, this, that, and the other. And so he got to the shoe department and was looking around and your boy knows a little little bit about shoes and so we got to talking and I found out that he was a Dallas Cowboys fan and your boy was born in Dallas okay so things were going really well right I got a good review this that and the other but I'll just never forget that anticipation of he's here he's here he's here and running around the store making sure that everything was perfectly in its place and was good and the reason why I tell you that is, is we learned last week that through Advent, we are studying the life of John the Baptist. And the whole purpose of John the Baptist, the whole purpose of John the Baptist is he's here. He's here. Get ready. He's here. He's coming. He's arrived. John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's the one who comes and prepares, God, prepares God's people for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And in our text today, we get the full, robust picture of John the Baptist. Last week, it was the prophecy of his birth and everything that was going to take place. But this week, we get the man and the message. We get John preaching. We get John's outfit. Did you see that? He's wearing camel's hair. And then John's eating locusts and honey. John was on the paleo diet before y'all ever did any of that, okay? And then John is out in the wilderness of Judea. Listen, that is so important to understand. Back then, Rome ruled the known world. So when you were in the city limits and you bought something in the marketplace or you drank the water from the stream, Rome provided that. 
So as almost one of the greatest last acts of resistance, you would move outside of the providence, literally in a sign of protest, saying, I don't need anything that the emperor provides. And John is in the wilderness, and he's preaching this message and, and he's drawing a crowd. People are coming out, listening. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, even some of the Roman people, emperors, are listening to John. Listen, John is a peculiar character. And, and, and I thought of something this week. You know, we look back on our heroes, and we love our heroes, and we think, oh, man, they would be so great today. Do you know what? I don't really, I think we would be shocked and offended if John the Baptist preached the sermon today. I mean, did you see some of the words that he said? He called them broods of vipers, all right? John is a rough and gruff guy. But there's something that he says in these verses that I want to camp the whole message on today. And it's so Advent, it's it's so perfect, but it's literally the antithesis of what we would think Advent and Christmas is all about. You see, this time of year, when you go to your mailbox, um, you get Christmas cards, or, or, or you go shopping, you go to Hobby Lobby, you go to places, and, and Christmas brings about um, the use of, of these words oftentimes. Maybe it's on a billboard, maybe it's on a Christmas card. Um, you see words like um, joy. Or something like that. What are some other, just, just shout them out. What are some other Christmas words that you maybe see on a card, on a sign somewhere when you're shopping? What is, just shout one out. What is it? Peace. That's great. What's another one? Noel. That, oh, Noel. No, do you know all you're saying is birth, 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 birth. That's what the word means, birth, right? It's kind of weird. What, what, what's another one? Just a Christmas word. Hope. That's great. These, oh, these are just, mmm. Warm and cozy, a cozy, just hallmark, just, oh man, this is good, right? Um, I thought this week, if John the Baptist sent you a Christmas card, I think this is what it would look like, right? John the Baptist Christmas card <laughs> would be that. It would just be one giant word, repent. And, and even if you wanted to make it real Christmassy in Advent, you could put it with some decorations and yay! Yay, right? Why? No, no, no. Like, there's a reason why we laugh at this image, right? Because in our minds, these two things don't go together. This is Christmas and cozy and that, oh, that nice. That quote we had last week, Christmas has made us cozy, but Advent tells us to stay awake. And then we see repent. You see, repentance has, has become almost a dirty word. And, and what I mean by that is it's literally gotten the hellfire brimstone rap. It's almost that negative connotation. But when you look at, John uses the word twice. John's very first word is repent in the message. He's here. He's here. He's coming. Guys, he's here. The eagle has landed. Repent. 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 That's John's natural, logical progression. Jesus is coming. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to repent. 
And so what I want to do is I want to show you the importance of this word. Listen, if there is one word that can summarize the prophets in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, it's the word repent. Now, in the original language, it looks like this for the two of you that care, but the word is metanoia. Turn to your neighbor and say metanoia. Metanoia. And the word means to change one's mind and to change direction. It's both and. It means that you are changing your direction because you have changed your mind. Don't, don't try to make this something that it's not, okay? It literally means to about face and turn and go the other way. That's what the word means. And I know what some of you are saying. Oh, here we go. The word repentance again. Repent. You know, you know, Brother Jason, you know, I'm, I'm all about the New Testament. I'm about grace. I'm all, we're under the new covenant. Just grace. Just, God, just Jesus and grace, man. The repentance is kind of Old Testament stuff. You know, we're under the new covenant. Grace, right? You ever have those conversations? Um, how about this for, for a little bit of information? Repent was the first word of John the Baptist's gospel. Repent was the first words of Jesus' gospel. The first time Jesus ever preached a sermon, he said, repent. Repent was the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after the resurrection. Don't miss that. Jesus has rose from the dead. That's a big deal, right? Jesus has rose from the dead. And the disciples are like, what are we supposed to do, man? We thought you were dead. You are here. We just ate fish and chips with you. My, man, this is a mind game. What are we supposed to do? Jesus said, go out and preach the gospel and tell people to repent. It's the first message. Uh, repentance was the first word of exhortation in the very first Christian sermon. Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon. Jesus Christ is not dead, but he, but he died for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. And he rose from the grave. And it said the people were cut to the heart and they asked this question. Preacher, preacher, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in response of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then this, repentance was the first word in the mouth of the Apostle Paul through his ministry. Look, I just want you to see it in our text today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then look over again in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Listen, I firmly believe this today. The word repent in repentance is by far the most advent word that we could ever understand. And I believe that if you lean in for the next few moments and grasp the concept of this word... This will change your life. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your relationship with Jesus, with your spouse, 
with your loved ones. Listen, this is the advice. If you were to call John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, or Peter and set up a counseling session and have a cup of coffee, you would spill your guts out to them and you would say, what am I supposed to do? And their response would be, repent. Repent. So listen, here's the big idea. Here's the reason why we're studying the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist teaches us that to receive the kingdom and the king, we must repent. This is why John the Baptist stands where he stands in the Christmas story. All four gospels start with John the Baptist. Because you can't just hurry up and get to Jesus. You have to pass through John the Baptist first. And so many of us want to skirt John the Baptist because he kind of weirds us out. He's kind of confrontational. He's like dressed really weird. He's eating weird stuff. And his message is repentance. And we want to hurry up and get to Jesus. I love what one scholar said. Far from merely assigning to John a temporal and now accomplished task, the history of the church recognized him to be the one who will be forever preparing the way for Christ and who, so to speak, stands guard at the frontier of our lives. The way to Christ and into the kingdom of God did not merely at one time in a moment of past history lead through John the Baptist, but it now, once and for all, and always leads through the path of repentance shown by John the Baptist. Faith in Jesus Christ is only where the believer is passing through the path of repentance. Listen, John is not a character who once in the past prepared the way for Jesus. That's why in high liturgical churches, John the Baptist gets two Sundays out of the year. John gets two of the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Why? It's not because it was something that he did in the past, but it is a representation that we only get to Jesus by understanding the message of John the Baptist. So here's what I want to do. I just want to look at two quick things about what repentance is. And, and you're going to have to unpack some things because I think some of us were sold a bill of goods and, and, and maybe some of us were kind of yelled at by an angry preacher who was yelling at us to repent. But in the same breath, he was like, repent, God loves you. And you were like, God loves me. You're so mad at me right now. Like, and it's just, you know, bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, 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 and a picket sign and all of this stuff. Again, remember, it means to change one's mind and then to change direction. I believe if we understand this concept, it will change your relationship with Christ. It will change. Listen, I believe even the current situation that you are dealing with now, whether it be relational or whatever it is, if we understand this concept, it will be a game changer. There's two things that you have to know about repentance. The first thing is this. Repentance is turning from sin. Repentance is turning from sin. 
Look at what John says right there in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Then he says stuff like flee from the wrath to come. The axe is laid at the fruit or at the root of the tree. It's unbelievable. What is all of this language that John is talking about? Then he talks about the wheat and the chaff getting separated. It's, it's, it's the line in the sand. You know, one of the things we said that we were going to learn and make a commitment to as a church when we went through the upper room, as you see one of the marks behind me was to be honest about sin. And listen, I don't think we can understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ until we understand what we're even saved from. And not just our behavior and bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, 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 drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, and all of that behavior modification. But understanding the depths of our heart and understanding how we've actually set up some serious idols in our life and all our behavior is, is the fruit of that. I know what some of you are asking, but pastor, how can I know what real repentance is? How can I know what it real, like I feel bad. I feel bad. You know, anytime I uh, was a youth pastor and would counsel some kids, you know, have a dating couple come in and sit down. And they'd be like, you know, we're struggling in our relationship, having it for the Lord. We don't know what happened, Pastor Jason. We don't know what happened. We were watching a movie um, down in the basement in the pitch dark, covered up, and we just don't know what happened. Like, we, <laughs> you're like, no, no, it starts way before any of these things, okay? But they would always say this, we feel bad. We feel bad. But what do we do now? Listen, here's three keys to understanding what the fruit of repentance looks like. You've got to understand these three things. The first one is this. It's a change of head. I think differently about my sin now. Here's what I mean. You're not sorry you got caught. You're sorry for the hurt that you caused and the hurt and the person that you hurt. It's not just, oh no, I got caught. And by the way, did you know that in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that God disciplines those whom he loves? I never understood this in my life. All my friends are just always getting away with stuff, just, just never getting caught with anything, right? They're just able to hop that fence and, you know, and I was never able to. And I was always the one getting arrested, right? I just never, like, why can't I ever get away with anything? I run faster than you. Like, I'm always getting caught. And I'll never forget going to breakfast with my dad. And my dad looking at me with big tears in his eyes saying, Son, when are you going to understand you can't outrun God? Jason, he's going to chase you down. And then he said this, the greatest sign of God's judgment in your life is when he gives you what you want. Jason, the reason why God keeps intervening in your life is because I thought it was punishment. Of course you think that way when you're all haywired out. I can't get caught. I can't risk this. I got a business. Whoa, I got a bit. Like What? I built this life. I built, yeah, and you're about to ruin it. And the first sign is, 
I see this how God sees this. The second thing is this. It's a change of heart. I feel differently towards my sin now. It starts to change. You're really done at this point. You're exhausted. It doesn't, you don't, you, you, you want a way out now. I don't want this. And then the third thing is this, a change of hands. I act differently in regards to my sin. I don't want that anymore. I put boundaries up in my life. I can't go there anymore. I can't be with this person anymore. And listen, I'm not saying that you're better than them or anything like that. I experienced that when I first came to Christ. I, listen, I couldn't ride around town with those group of guys anymore. Why? Because I'm, we're going to end up here with this. I needed a period of a couple of years of my life of boundaries and separation as an act of repentance and guardrails in that sense. But just to clarify and make it a little bit more clear, I'm going to grab this whiteboard. And here's what I want to do. Because I think it's still a little bit unclear when it comes to the idea of feeling different towards our sin. Oftentimes when I meet with people, there is a genuine feeling of this, this word. Remorse. I feel bad. I mean, I don't think I've ever met with someone who just didn't feel bad, okay? Those people are sociopaths, okay, right? Um, I mean, literally at the moment, I think everybody feels a sense of remorse. And the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, when you feel this, you have two paths. That's it. What I'm about to show you is only two paths. The first path, as the Apostle Paul would say, is worldly sorrow, that in the end leads to death. It doesn't produce change. That's what John's saying. He's saying, um, the Messiah is here. Prepare, repent, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That there's evidence of the change in your life. So what, what the path of death is, um, the first thing is this. When you feel remorseful, You rationalize. You see, that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's why John says, look in verse 9. You have your Bible, look in verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourself. Do you see what he's doing? He knows what they're going to do. Do not presume to say to yourself, we are sons of Abraham. Remember that? Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, Right? What, what, what does that mean? That means they were relying on their ethnicity. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. John is preaching a message of repentance out in the wilderness, saying the Messiah is coming. Repent before God. Change your mind. Change the direction. And there's the group of the religious elite over here doing this. That's a good message. That's a good message for the non-Jewish people. Hey, everybody, you guys should listen to John. 
It's a good message for you, Bill. Bill, you've got problems. Okay, I'm sorry if your name's Bill, okay? Um, but here's what they would do. Not for me. I don't, I don't need John's message. They need John's message. Well, why don't you need John's message? Well, because of our lineage and our ethnicity, we come from the line of Abraham. You say, what does that have to do with anything in 2022? Um, yeah, man, I mean, I pray. I don't need to, rep- I mean, like, I, I pray. I had this moment one time at camp where, like, I felt super guilty and the lights were dark, and they kept playing, like, coming back to the heart of worship. Everybody was crying, and so, like, I laid my cigarettes out on the altar at camp, and I was like, I'm going to quit, right? Oh, that, wasn't, that was only my experience, sorry. Okay, um, I'm going to give all this up, and I'm going to, you know, I felt bad, man. And what we do is we go back to this little moment, and we say, because of that, I'm good or I'm in. You begin to rationalize. So as soon as the remorse starts to wear off, just watch it, guys. We do this in our own life. As soon as, um, most of the time for men, sorry, guys, I'm going to oust you, okay? Men are really remorseful while there's consequences. While there's consequences. The moment the consequences start to lift, rationalization begins immediately. Hey, I thought, I thought we said that, that you needed to end that relationship. Well, I told you. How, I can't, what, right? We rationalize, and then the next step is this. We resist. Once you start, listen, we can talk our way into anything. Anything. And by the way, nobody lies to you more than you do. So we begin to rationalize, and now we start resisting. Um, If we have people in our life, loved ones who care for us, who are trying to come genuinely to the table, you start doing things like, well, who are you to come and say this to me? I, I know what you struggled with last year. And we start resisting that stuff. And as we resist it, we will repeat it. We will repeat it. You can take this sentence to the bank. Truth and time walk hand in hand. If there hasn't been consequences yet, there's just not consequences yet. But truth and time walk hand in hand. And the moment that you begin to repeat, it only leads to ruin. I mean, guys, this is everyone's testimony. I could pass the mic in the room right now. And they would say, I kind of did this, started doing this, started doing this, started doing this. So what's the path to life? What does it look like to bear fruit? Well, the first step with remorse is responsibility. This is tough. This is tough. There's no excuses. 
There's no, well, they did, they. It's literally what we try to teach our children. I mean, like, I'm, I'm amazed at how we as human beings um, even warp an apology, right? Well, you know, I just thought I would come and, you know, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Can we, like, write that on the board? What does that even mean? I'm sorry that you, right? Well, you know, but coming and saying, listen, I have no excuses. I was wrong. I sinned. I broke your trust. I have no defense. Please forgive me. That's it. That's it. It's owning it. Responsibility, which then leads to the repentance that we're talking about, the change of mind. Now we start putting things in place. Listen, repentance in the original language in the tense is not just a feelings word. It is an action word. It is not just the remorse but now, once we have taken responsibility, we then begin to put things in place. And from the responsibility and the repentance, this one's difficult. You don't hear this taught very much anymore, but it's the word restitution. We see this with Zacchaeus. Was a wee little man and a wee little... Right? Whenever Zacchaeus met Jesus and was a tax collector and was scamming everyone, had Jesus to his house, his life changed. Do you know what Zacchaeus' response was? I'm going to go back to every single person and twofold give them what I took from them. It's trying to, within your power, make whatever wrongs right. This is what's so powerful about AA. And this step, anybody who goes through the program will tell you that this step is a game changer. When you sit down and say, how can I make this right? And then after that, you have reconciliation. Both paths begin with the same feeling. What you choose to do with that feeling literally determines every bit of the outcome. So the first step of repentance is turning from sin. And here's the problem. Most of the time, that's where the message has ended. That's where it's ended. Turn, turn, turn. Repent, repent, repent. Repentance is turning from sin. Stop doing that. Stop listening to that music. Don't do that. Don't go there. And then the repetitive cycle begins because we've never replaced it. Oh, and listen, here's the second part, and I'm done. Repentance isn't just turning from sin. Repentance is turning to Jesus. It's turning from something and to someone. Look at what John says. It's right in the clause in the verse. Verse 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Key word, kingdom of heaven. 
Do you see the clause right there, the word for? Because, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So many of us have tried to, through behavior modification, we get rid of the computer. We, you know, we don't do this anymore. And I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, I'm going to turn from, I'm going to turn from, I'm going to turn from. But we never turn to. And here's the key reason why. You can't fully remove something you love until you replace it with a greater love. Oh, we're on it now. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not just removing things. It's replacing it with the greater love, the ultimate love. And you know what? It's going to be more costly. This path here is a lot more costly because it's worth it. Because at the end of it is a greater love. I'm going to close with this. Um, there's a story told a number of years ago. Do you remember the old Reader's Digests filled with all of those stories? Um, one of the stories was about Little Susie. It's just the title, Little Susie. And Little Susie was out shopping with her parents and came across a gumball machine and saw a fake little plastic pearl necklace. And oh, little Susie wanted that so bad. She begged her parents, she begged her parents, she begged her parents. And he said, no, little Susie, no, you're not going to get that. So little Susie said, well, you know what? I'm going to save up my chore money. You said that that was my money, and I can do whatever I want with it. So little Susie saved up her chore money, and the next time they went to town, she beelined for the gumball machine, and she got the plastic necklace. She wore it all the time, constantly showing everyone. And one day, as they were eating dinner, her father looked at her and said, Susie, can I have your necklace? And little Susie, almost appalled, said, no, Daddy, I bought that with my money. You said you weren't going to buy it, but I could have it if I bought it, so I bought it with my money. That's my necklace. He said, okay. And then some little time after, her dad asked Susie again, Susie, can, can I have that necklace, baby? Daddy, no. And then the third time, he asked, she got so upset, she said, don't ask me again, and she stomped away. Well, a few hours later, it says in Reader's Digest, Susie came back in with big old tears in her eyes. She said, Daddy, I'm so sorry. If you really want my necklace, Daddy, you can have my necklace. And she reached out her hand, and there was a little bitty plastic necklace. She gave it to her dad. And her dad said, Susie, I wanted you to know something. As he reached in his back pocket and he pulled out a real pearl necklace. And he said, Susie, I just wanted you to know something. That you can always trust me. And whatever I ask, though it may seem like a sacrifice and difficult for you, it's always good. I always have something better for you, Susie. It's just a great story. And it's true of the gospel. Because don't miss this. 
the very thing that Jesus demands from us is the very thing that Jesus gives to us, which is everything. And let me tell you something. If you're trying to negotiate with Jesus, you don't negotiate with kings. They don't negotiate well. And that life will be exhausting because like little Susie, you're grasping onto this one area and this is mine and it's worth so much and the co- you are blinded. And what the Father wants is to replace your lesser love with a greater love. So please listen. John the Baptist teaches us that the only way we receive the king and his kingdom is that we repent and that we turn. That if we confess with our mouth, if we confess, God is good to justify. So in closing, I have two application questions for you. The first one is this. In preparation for Christmas, what is the Spirit calling you to repent of? Because here's the mistake. We think it's like a one-time gig. Oh, no. As Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis on the Wittenberg door as an indictment to the Catholic Church, it opened with the line, all of the Christian life is one of repentance. This is the way we live. And then just as an application to really sort of pierce down in that question, here's the second question. When is the last time that you confessed your sin to a fellow brother or sister in Christ? There is no way that you can say that you are seeking the path of repentance with the God above you if you are not willing to confess your sin to a brother or sister beside you. That's why in James it says we confess our sins to one another. And listen, you want to know grace? You want to know mercy? You want to know the joy of the Lord? You want to know peace? You want to know hope? It comes right at the moment of surrender. Not before, not any other time. God is quicker to forgive us than we are even willing to confess. That's the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today. And God, it takes so much in our mind to even put this word as a word for Advent and to prepare for Christmas. Repent. But God, there is substantial evidence that this is the way we come. This is the way we live. God, I just pray today that we would be so bold. Holy Spirit, have your way that maybe today as we come forward and grab communion, God, may your Spirit empower someone today to just bow a knee maybe at the altar, have a moment of confession, not to rationalize, not to resist. How's that going? All we have is a wake of devastation behind us. But what you have is the very thing we desire, is the love and the peace and the joy and the mercy and the strength. And all you're asking 
is for us to open our hand. May we hear the message of John the Baptist today. And may your spirit move profoundly in this place. And may we truly understand what it is to receive the King this Christmas season. We receive Jesus on our knees with open hands. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, I would invite you to stand.